Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is the lovely Chuck Bryant, staring at our new jute rug hanging from our new wall. What's up, Chuck? We must be, like, going places. We have a jute rug hanging from the wall. I feel silly because I called it Berber. That's okay. I'm over here feeling stupid. They're both from the same area. Oh, are they? Of the world. They better be, because if we start getting this nailed, <laughs> it's going to be so angry. I know. The cool thing is, is when we're corrected, though, we are literally corrected, or I'm sorry, we're corrected by literal experts. Yeah, sure. Have you noticed? Yeah, true. Yeah, so. M- many times. Like, it would be like a jute rug manufacturer or somebody with a PhD in jute rug studies who right. will email us about that. Or Henry Jute himself. Right, the father of jute ruggery. Right. Yeah, so uh, other than the whole Berber jute thing, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm good. a little tired, but I'm fine. Are you tired? Yeah. Chuck, you should look into energy drinks. I just drank one, and I'm like... Yeah, I'm not a fan. I don't like the taste. No? No. Good enough. Do you want to move on? Sure. <laughs> Let's do that. For What's funny is, is that came out as like seven seconds, and it really lasted, what, like four minutes? Yeah, if people only knew. Thanks to the wonder of Yeti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Chuck, um, you may have noticed, and I know you did, because that person we used to relay information to us, to be- between the two of us, because we can't stand one another really, right? Uh, told me that you told her that you already knew this. You following me so far? No. I don't <laughs> think anyone else is either. Okay, we already did this one. Yeah, we should go ahead and say that. Yeah. This is about carbon capture and storage, mm-hmm. and uh, it seemed oddly familiar when I was researching. I know. And that's because we did, in fact, do this last July, but it was one of our little baby podcasts when we first started. Woof. And it was like five, seven minutes long, something like that, and it just really didn't do this topic justice. So. And I got to tell you, hot dog, carbon capture and storage is cool enough and important enough to do twice. Yeah, and- don't worry, folks. We're not going to start rehashing things. We have plenty of topics we are sure. yet to cover, but we just want to do this because we're on a little green, sweet kick. Exactly. Yeah. And plus, you know, the the first one just didn't quite do it. Usually when we do a podcast, it stays done, right? Yeah, agreed. This one didn't quite stay done. It was still squirming. Right. We hadn't put the nail gun to the back of the head yet. So we're going to do part, that here. Part deux. Yeah. So, Chuck, this one is laden with stats. Oh, it As is. I was reading this article, I thought, Chuck is going to go crazy for this one. <laughs> Give me the first stat, buddy. Let's talk about CO2 and the greenhouse effect, right? Let's do. Okay, so we do have this layer of carbon dioxide uh-huh. uh, that allows sunlight to pass through and yeah. some to stay. It keeps bouncing back and forth. Which we need to we a certain need degree. Uh-huh. Or else trees wouldn't grow, yeah. children wouldn't skip and play. Support it for photosynthesis. Right, so we do need it. What would happen if we didn't have this uh, this greenhouse layer surrounding the earth like a warm blanket? Josh, if we had no greenhouse effect, yes. buddy, our planet would be about... Minus 22 degrees Fahrenheit, which is minus 30 degrees Celsius. For our friends who don't use the imperial system. Yep. So it would be a a frozen planet, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't be around. I'll tell you that. So we want the greenhouse effect. We want this stuff to come through and to warm our Earth. Uh, The problem is, is when enough of it doesn't get bounced back into outer space. Then it gets a little too warm. It goes the other other direction. We don't have a stat on that. But as you can tell, summers are getting a little hotter. And uh, I'm sweating a lot more. We do have a stat on that, as far as it getting hotter. Oh, okay. Uh, well, emissions, I'm sorry, emissions increasing. 
I kind of bent that one a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But it. from uh, 1970 to 2004, the greenhouse gas emissions have uh, increased 70% over that 34-year period. Right. And there, there's actually plenty of different greenhouse gases. You've uh-huh. got like nitrous oxide, methane, um, even water vapor is technically a greenhouse gas yeah, when it gets up that. there. Um, so all this stuff kind of combining traps in the, the sun's uh, heat. Um, but worst among them, as far as what we're doing to contribute, which right. is called anthropogenic contribution, yeah. uh, is carbon dioxide. Because uh, between that same period, what did you say, 1970 to 2004, uh-huh. uh, our carbon dioxide emissions grew uh, 80%. Yeah, that's that's significant. Yeah, close to doubling. That's, that's a lot. Right. And you remember the chlorohydrofluorocarbons, I think is what they were called? Yes. The CFCs? Yeah, chlorofluorocarbons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were in aerosol sprays, and like right. everybody's like, "Oh God, you know, it's everything's going to end," and that we just got rid of aerosols. Sure, kind of. We need to figure out a way to do that with carbon dioxide emissions too. Well, we we kind of are. Yeah, and what is it? Well, that's what we're talking about again, <laughs> which is uh, carbon capture, and more importantly, storage. Because capturing carbon, I mean, none of it's easy, but what you do with it is what's important. Sure. Yeah. Can't I mean, just we can't just it, like yeah. yeah put it in the backyard. Sure. Right. You can put it very deep in the backyard. You could. Nice. We'll, we'll get to that. Nice now. foreshadowing. So let's talk about trapping carbon dioxide first, the, the capture part of carbon capture and storage, which, if you want to look green savvy in front of your friends, just toss out CCS. Sure. And uh, they will be wowed. Yeah. We've actually been doing this for a while, Josh. What, you and I? A year at least. <laughs> yeah. No, capturing carbon. Oh, yeah. We've been doing that for a while because uh, the oil and gas industries do that. They, uh, they've been doing that for decades to enhance oil and gas recovery. So. Right, because, you know, when, when you tap an uh, an, uh, oil reserve, uh-huh. an oil de- uh, deposit in the earth, it's actually, there's a ton of gas that's holding it down. It's pressurized, actually. Right. So the stuff is, it comes out really easily. Uh-huh. But as the gases that are holding this, that are pressurizing this underground cavern uh, escape into the atmosphere, um, it becomes harder and harder to get the oil out. So they figured out that if you pump CO2 into these half-depleted deposits, uh-huh. it repressurizes it, and it makes the oil easier to, to, to get out. Right. So out of that becomes a more uh, environmentally friendly use, which is capturing carbon uh, for for Mother Earth. Right. And, and even more, so since we're already, or since the oil companies are already using C- pressurized CO2 uh, to, to uh, for enhanced oil recovery, there's already a, a network, a system of pipelines and stuff in in, in Infra- Our infrastructure. infrastructure. Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> wow. I love that word, infrastructure, but for that's, some reason. That's, I do, too. It's very comforting, isn't it? Is. It is. Yeah. Uh, it, it sounds like somebody's in charge. It does. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's the uh, that's part of the storage, right? Let's keep right. talking about tr- uh, capture. Josh, there are three main steps to CCS, and that is the trapping of the carbon, uh, the separating of the CO2 from other gases, and then transporting it to a place where you can store it away from the atmosphere. Right. And actually, strangely enough, there's three methods that we've come up with for doing this. Rule of threes. Right. So you've got uh, – yeah, you love that, don't you? I do. Uh, you've got post-combustion, pre-combustion, mm-hmm. and oxy-fuel combustion. Break right? it down, brother. Okay. Well, I'll break down uh, post-combustion. Okay. It's exactly what it sounds like. Say you've got a um, coal-fired power plant. Coal is super dirty. Even clean coal is very dirty. Right. Uh, if you can figure out a way to trap that CO2 that's escaping from the flu, mm-hmm. uh, then all of a sudden you've just captured carbon. Right. Right? Uh, and one way to do that is to uh, introduce some sort of like gel or compound 
there's some, I know Georgia Tech's working on one called uh, Hyperbranched Aminosilica. Wow, look at you. Thanks. You weren't even reading that. No, I wasn't. Very impressive. Uh, it's not even in this article, pal. I know. My brain is mush. There's no way I could do that. <laughs> um, it, and actually, I guess it's because it's so hyperbranched. Um, it, it traps carbon dioxide uh-huh. molecules, and it actually locks into them. So it's a silica. It's kind of sandy. So it works as a filter? It does, but, you know, so some flue gases get out, but mm-hmm. the carbon dioxide doesn't. Gotcha. And the cool thing is, is like it just sits there. It just traps it until it's heated again. Right. And if you heat it in the, under the right circumstances, you can capture just the CO2 and compress it and, and get rid of it. That's one example of, right. of post-combustion. The, the key to post-combustion is you're already burning the fossil fuels and you're capturing as much CO2 as you can before it escapes into the atmosphere out of smokestack. Right. One thing I noticed in that where you said uh, once you heat it again, it leaves behind the concentrated uh, CO2, but it releases water vapor. Is I wonder if that water vapor is part of the problem as well, though. It, it seems like it. Water vapor is, again, it's a greenhouse gas, but right. it's also a flue gas, sure. which is a mixture of a whole bunch of stuff that uh, that, that comes out of uh, burning fossil fuels. Right. Uh, but, again, we're after the CO2, but it seems like getting the CO2 separated from the water vapor is a problem as well. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so you want to do pre-combustion? Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh this is when uh, carbon is carbon is trapped. I'm sorry, carbon dioxide. I guess I should say, is trapped before the fossil fuel is burned. So, uh, before it's diluted with other flue gases, um, is when you when you capture it. So pre-combustion before it's burned. Right. And apparently, Chuck, what you do is you actually heat whatever fossil fuel you're using uh, in the presence of pure oxygen, and you get this other this brand this completely different thing, uh, carbon monoxide and hydrogen. Right, right, and then you run it through a catalytic converter, and uh, it produces more hydrogen, which is good because you can actually reuse that for energy to maybe even power this whole process. Right, right. Uh, and then you get carbon dioxide as well. Right, uh, and then you put them in a flask with a, a chemical called amine, uh-huh. and the amine actually uh, holds the CO two down. Right, sits on top of it. Right, and then eventually you can extract the amine. And the hydrogen, reuse the amine, and trap the CO2. Right. Sounds like kind of a lot. It does. I wonder if we're going to get any cool sound effects like our uh, distillery. That would be very mentioned. cool. That would be super cool. We'll and see if it. we did, yeah, didn't you just hear it? Yeah, Jerry's yeah. ignoring us right now, so <laughs> that might not happen. <laughs> um, so the, it, it, it is a lot. Pre-combustion is a, it's a big process. Yeah, it's already in use, actually, for natural gas. They've already been using this. It is. The thing is, is, is it's in use in a brand new power plant. The good thing about post-combustion is you can run around the country and retrofit old power plants exactly. to capture uh, carbon dioxide. Uh, pre-combustion, you pretty much have to build that in as you're building a new power plant. And it's also super expensive. Well, it uses actually, a lot of energy. What, pre-combustion? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I thought it was lower in cost. Is the, it? Well, the process is lower in cost, but I think it's more expensive because it's not a retrofit. Right, but it also it's it's higher in the cost of energy that it uses to, to oh, go okay. through this process, from what I understand. Uh, I was talking about dollars, buddy. Not, hey, dude, you still got to pay costs. for uh, energy somehow. Pay now or pay later, John. Right, right. And then the last one is oxyfuel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oxyfuel combustion. Yeah, that's uh, the power plant burns fossil fuel and oxygen, and this results in a gas mixture uh, comprised of steam and, and carbon dioxide. So. The steam and CO2 are separated when you cool it and compress the gas uh, stream. Right. So there you have it. <laughs> there you have it. And all three of these capture between 80 and 90% of the carbon dioxide that's escaping. I think oxy fuels the most. 
Oxy fills at like 90%, I think. Yeah, topping yeah. out at 90 Um So those are pretty much the three competing ways to uh, capture carbon dioxide in use right now. And it seems like we're talking about power plants a lot. Mm-hmm. Those are definitely the focus of carbon capture right now. Right. You know, they're huge emitters of carbon dioxide. Like uh, there's a, uh, I think, a southern company plant in uh, Juliet, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And it emits more carbon dioxide than the entire power infrastructure of Brazil. Really? Which seems a little lopsided because you just blogged about Brazil recently uh, on a sugarcane biofuel post, right? Uh Today. And they're very, very energy independent thanks to the cellulosic ethanol that they make from sugarcane. Right. So it's a a a lopsided comparison, but still, one power plant shouldn't be putting out more CO2 than any country. Sure, you would think. Right. Unless that country is tiny. Like maybe Vatican City. Yeah. Is that a country? Yeah. Dude, I, got, I walked around Vatican City one time by accident. Was, <laughs> well, it was uh, my friend Brett and I were kind of... What do you mean by accident? Well, we were on the wrong side of, of where we needed to be, and we thought, well, we'll just skirt around this wall here, and I think it'll be quicker. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that we were walking around the country. Did you come face-to-face with the Pope, and are just like, what are no, you doing but here? It took like, for, what are you doing it here? It took forever. It was much a much longer walk than I anticipated. And now that I realize it's a country, that kind of all makes sense. Does it make sense? It does. Gotcha. Cool place, though. I've heard. Moving on. Yes. Uh, so now, Josh, what we have is captured carbon. we got a whole lot of carbon dioxide. What do we do with it, Chuck? Well, you need to transport it first before you can store it. How? Through a pipeline. Oh, yeah, I already talked about that. Right, that's a good thing. Is the infrastructure is in place, <laughs> and uh, I think here's another stat. There's more than 1,500 miles of CO2 pipelines already uh, in, in place here in the it U.S. It sounds like a lot, but technically it's not. Like, consider the the yeah, amount of true. oil pipelines and that kind of thing. That's true. And that actually, I was talking about a lopsided figure with the Southern Company plant in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, CO2 pipeline uh, safety uh, as far as fatalities and accidents go, right. is really low compared to like natural gas and, and hazardous materials pipeline. Uh-huh. I think to the tune of um, I've got stats. I can, okay, no, no, you do it. No, I want you. No, to. these are death. Uh, stats. No, you. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, we're talking. These are death stats. <laughs> we're talking between 1986 and 2006. There have only been 12 CO2 uh, pipeline leaks with no injuries and none. Um, uh, yeah, none. Zip. And over the same period, more than 5,000 accidents with and 107 fatalities with uh, liquid um, petroleum pipelines. Right. So whoop, whoop, it sounds like CO2 pipelines are way safer, but there's again, a lot there's a lot fewer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, your friend Debbie Ronka thinks that these things, these accidents will probably increase as the um, CO2 pipeline infrastructure increases in, in breadth. Right. And we should say Debbie wrote this. We didn't just chat about this, and Debbie threw out her opinion. Right. Debbie wrote this awesome article. Her formal trainings in pediatrics. Right. Debbie of FreakGirl.com. Plug, oh, plug. is that her, huh? Uh-huh. Nice. Good girl. Oh, you are just plug happy, aren't you? Yeah, you know. I think just for old time's sake, you should plug our uh, audio book. I mean, you know, uh, spoken word album. Yeah, we'll do I'm that I'm never going to get that right there in the front of my head. They'll no. never be the first thing I call that. So now we have it in a pipeline. And we are transporting it where it needs to go, which uh, it depends on where you pick it up and where it needs to be for where it needs to travel. I mean, it's pretty simple. Right. But also, we should probably say that there's different – you could transport CO2 three different ways, right? Gas, liquid, and solid. Right. And the, the most efficient is is, uh, is gas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, solid CO2 actually is dry ice. Did you yeah. know that? Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. Sadly. And it's not very cost-effective to transport as a solid, obviously. 
Um, and gas is easier because you can compress it with these, uh, you know, these compressors kind of push it through the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Every so often they have these compressors. Sure. And where are you and shooting it to, though? Well, you're shooting it to the storage area, Chuck. They're, yeah, which uh, depends on what storage you're going to use, what kind of storage you're going to use. Well, what kind do you want to use? I mean, there's only two, underground and underwater, right? Right. What kind do I want to use? What kind do you want to use? Uh, if you're Chuck, king of the world, and somebody says, well, let's do something about CCS, you say, I decree that we're going to store it? Underground. Underground. All right. <laughs> That's nice. what I say. Nice. The, the ocean thing worries me a little bit. They yeah. both worry me a little bit, actually. But, yeah, let's start with underground. Okay, let's do underground. Um, well, Josh, there are some estimates. If you want another stat, you're right. This is chock full of stats. Um, the planet can store up to 10 trillion tons of CO2 underground. Which is uh, 100 years of storage of all human anthropogenic carbon contributions. Right, which sounds good, but that's really not that very long, 100 years. No, but consider this. I was actually, um, when I wrote the, uh, the article, uh, Can We Bury Our CO2 Problem Under the Ocean, I think is what it was called. Mm-hmm. There's no telling what kind of technology we're going to have. We could conceivably yeah, good point. take that trapped carbon dioxide and and exert tons of force and and make synthetic petroleum out of it. Yeah, that's you a know? good point. Yeah, so a hundred years is a really long time yeah, with the kind of technological advances we've been sure. we've been undertaking in the last hundred years. Right? Yeah, I mean, think about nineteen oh nine and what it was like then. Yeah, I don't like to compared to now. Well, that's a syphilis. Yeah. Yeah, so. sure. So, uh, yeah, that's underground. Um, you know, it's pressurized when it's that deep underground, and it behaves more like a liquid than a gas when it's that far underground because it, like, seeps into all the little cracks and porous rocks, which is a good thing. Right, and actually the, there, there's a specific rock that they found um, works really well for carbon uh, storage, and that is basalt, which is volcanic rock, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and they just inject, uh, as, what is it, do they inject uh, gaseous Gasified CO2. Gasified? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Uh, they inject it directly into the rock, and actually the rock transforms from basalt into limestone. Yeah, pretty cool. It converts it into rock. So basically, like it's, regular it's rock. like a um, uh, hyper-accelerated uh, geological process that's mm-hmm. going on. But when I read that, I thought, wow, that's great. What a great idea. We just need to run around injecting all the basalt in the world with CO2, and we'll be set. We'll just have a big limestone planet. And then again, I thought... We really don't know what we're tinkering with here. Right. Like, what, what happens if we have, like, too much limestone on the planet? We, we can't say. We don't know. True. Like, this, I, I can't tell almost, I hate to admit this, but I can't tell if this kind of tinkering may actually result in much more catastrophic consequences than just going the way we're going and trying to go with biofuels. You never know. I don't. You know, a lot of the end of the world movies where it shows like the future, how mankind was wiped out, the little thing they'll use to, to turn the story was we were trying to do something great and discovered something we thought was great, mm-hmm. but it turned out to be some irrevocable uh, change that led to our demise. Sure. You're talking about Soylent Green, of course. Well, yeah, and just a lot of movies like that. But that's a great point, actually. Soylent Green's a great example. Yeah. We Soylent think we're doing Green. something really good, and that might lend, lend, lead to our undoing. Water World, greatest movie ever made. <laughs> A definitely maybe. Really? Yeah. What did that have to do with this? It was highly post-apocalyptic. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to see that one. I thought it was a... Cheesy, oh, you haven't seen it? I thought it was a cheesy romance. No. Oh, well, it starts out like that, and the twist at the end is mind-boggling. Right. Yeah. It's like the road warrior. So go ahead, Chuck. We're talking underground, or are we done with that part? No. Well, we're almost done. What happens is they're studying all that right now. So 
your fears hopefully can be uh, dismissed because they're looking to see what the result will be. Sure. And as far as it goes, I think the oldest um, underground uh, CO2 storage site mm-hmm. is actually under the seafloor in Norway. Yeah. And it's only as old as 1996. Right. And, and it hasn't had an, sure. an accident or anything, but it's still, it's only 13 years old. Yeah, it's a baby. Yeah. So, I mean, what happens in 50 years or yeah, 100 years? Exactly. And that's what they're keeping their eye on. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're worried about it, too. I mean, we definitely have to do something, but I, I, I don't know. I'm just a little hesitant. All right. I agree. Yeah. Well, you want to talk about the ocean? Yeah, let's talk about the ocean. I'm, I'm with you. I'm much more trepid about the uh, ocean storage than that. Um, there's, again, I wrote an article called Can We Bury Our CO2 Problem in mm-hmm. the Ocean? And in that article, um, there's this guy who came up with these, the idea of having these pipelines pump liquefied, not gasified, but right. liquefied CO2 directly into enormous bags yeah. in the ocean. Oh, that's right. The abysmal plane? Yeah. Abys- not abysmal plane, the... Abyssal. Abyssal. Plan. Yeah. But I imagine <laughs> it's, it's pretty abysmal. abysmal down there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, down on the abyssal plain, right? And uh, it's it's a pretty good idea. The problem is is these huge, enormous bags can only store, I think, a day or ten worth of uh, carbon dioxide captured. Yeah. That'd be a lot of bags. It would be a lot of bags, and they'd add up really quick. And mm-hmm. if any one of them ruptured, we don't know what would happen. But apparently from uh, a little more investigation – if we bury this stuff or dump it in the ocean deep enough, uh, which is uh, to the tune of about 11,500 feet. 3,500 meters. Nice. Um, <laughs> then we can just let it go and hope for the best. That The, the incredibly low pressure uh, and temperatures will basically globify it. Yeah, compress it. It'll just be floating around. Globify. This sounds like a like that. terrible, terrible idea to me. Yeah, if, if with any kind of clout that I may have as a human being and a podcaster, I would like to hear now say that I think just dumping our captured carbon dioxide into the ocean mm-hmm. is one of the worst ideas I've heard this year. Yeah. I know Greenpeace isn't wild about the idea. No. And they said it's not even uh, feasible until at least the year 2030. So, you know, I mean... I have two camps. It's good that we're exploring things like this. Sure, agreed. But, you know, it would be much better if we had electric cars powered by solar energy right. rather than just thinking of different ways to keep using fossil fuels over and over and over. Right. No, and, and that's a good point. I noticed Greenpeace was kind of not too hip on this either, and I, I agree with them as well. I think that uh, we basically have to – stuff like this really distracts us from making hard decisions and hard choices. Mm-hmm. So this is easy. We get to, like, our lives don't change at all. It's just the power companies need to go retrofit uh, their old um, their old flues right. with, you know, scrubbers of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, But for us to have electric cars or to have biofuels, we're going to have to pay more a gallon, that kind of right. thing. So it does affect us, so people aren't paying that much attention to it. Right. That's uh, not to say this is pie-in-the-sky well, technology, though. True. You know, I mean, it's very viable, and it's going on now still. Right. Right? Hopefully work's going to be be done on a lot of fronts, and there will be multiple solutions. You know what my favorite idea was? What? Did you read that little sidebar about the company SkyMine? I did not. Okay, so SkyMine has figured out a way where they just take um, sequestered carbon dioxide, and they inject it with salt and water, sodium hydroxide, right? Uh-huh. And it, it creates a chemical reaction that forms baking soda. Oh, really? That's it. God, baking soda is good for everything. It is. 
Well, not everything. But I just think that's the greatest idea yeah. ever. The problem is, is we'd have massive baking soda stores, right. and the the baking soda market in which I'm heavily invested would just bottom out. Sure. So I, I mean, I like it as an idea, but financially, it would suck for me. Right. No fridge would ever stink again, though. <laughs> no, Across we could probably make fridges out of baking soda oh, with God, that much laying idea. around. Yeah. You know, if they can make a suitcase out of cocaine, they can probably make a refrigerator out of baking soda. The operative word is they. They. Uh, but getting back to the water real quick, you were talking about leaking CO2 from the ocean. Remember our little Exploding Lake podcast? Yeah, that's a great example of CO2, what could happen. CO2, baby, coming yeah. up through the water. So that could happen. Lake Nyos. And uh, we should also probably mention carbon sink. Yeah. Which is a, a phenomenon. The, the, uh, the ocean actually does absorb CO2 from the atmosphere already. And what happens now is it's uh, sinking to the bottom, ideally. But some oceans, like the Southern Ocean, have soaked up so much that it's not soaking it down to the bottom anymore. It's not sinking. It's kind of staying on top. Right. And that makes the water very acidic, which is not good for uh, fishies. No, which is, again, Lake Nios, we have no idea what happened in the marine life, probably because they were exploded into trillions of pieces. Right. That's tough to count. So, yeah, a little troublesome. I mean, capturing carbon, this is, this is a good thing. Storing it, a little more uh, dodgy. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. We're going to screw up this planet one way or another. Sure. Might as well make it quick, like in just a huge, massive eruption of CO2 into the atmosphere that chokes us all to death. Well, that sounds encouraging. Sure. Well, it'll get filtered out eventually, and some strange new life form will eventually take over and screw it up later on. So, Boy, you're a bright one today. I am. Just, just a shining light. Yeah. So, Chuck, uh, I'm glad we did this again, buddy. This Me one's, too. This one's done until next time. Yes. Until that carbon dioxide explodes. Let's agree right now, we don't do carbon capture and storage again until that massive eruption takes place. Uh, all right. Okay. Deal. Part right. three. There you have it. Coming not too soon. So you know what time it's for then. It's time for Chuck to plug our spoken word album. Chuck, go ahead. <laughs> wow, it's been so long. Um, it was on economics, if I remember correctly. Sure. The Stuff You Should Know, uh, Super Stuff Guide of the Economy. Yeah. You can buy it in your iTunes store for, what was the final price, four bucks? Something like that, yeah. Three ninety nine. Yeah. Three yeah. ninety five, something like that. Nice. And, and it, again, we got really good feedback on it, didn't we? We did. Yeah. And it was a good experience. So, uh, yeah, there's Chuck plugging our audio book, The Stuff You Should Know, Super Stuff, Guide to the Economy. I can't believe I remember the name of it still. Just for old time's sake. And uh, that means that it is listener mail time. All right, Chuck, what do you have for us, baby? Compass head, catcher's mitt, I have something <laughs> I'm just going to call shocking listener mail. Okay. We, we have a lot of that lately. Yeah, we had a fan that wrote in that um, was struck by lightning. Yeah, the, not just the fan, but her dog, too? Yeah, and she just kind of offhandedly mentioned it because she was talking about, um, she read that spontaneous human combustion could be caused by lightning, and I was struck by lightning, by the way, and that was kind of it. And I wrote her back, and I was like, no, 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 you need to give me some details here, <laughs> because I would like to read this on the air, and I've never talked to anyone who I was struck by lightning. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, it turns out it was a side strike, uh, which I never heard of. Uh, and she says, a side strike is a really wild phenomenon of lightning. Uh, it struck about a half a block from me. It was incredibly bright, and I was blinded for a few uh, minutes afterward. I was knocked back about six feet, but still landed on my feet. Wow. And I couldn't hear for a good half hour afterward. It was a booming and crackling, yet incredibly quiet, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't totally explain the sound, except to compare it to the sound you get when you skydive, which doesn't help me any, because I've never been skydiving. It's kind of like a... Have you done it? Mm-hmm. No. No way. It's terrifying. 
Okay, I believe it. Uh, the rush of wind booms around you, but is definitely still. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Similar, sort of. Oh, you were all hammered when you did it. What are you talking about? You don't remember. Uh, in my research about lightning strikes and strike victims, I found it incredible that a side strike can occur uh, up to a mile away from something, and you can still receive the electrical charge. Uh, I saw the lightning strike, but I didn't feel any pain, so I assumed I wasn't hit. It wasn't until later in the day when burn marks showed up. I don't think I lost consciousness, but I was totally routed on the spot where I was standing. Uh, Rooted? R-O-U-T-E-D? I'm not sure. If it wasn't for my dog, I probably would have continued to stand there for a while. Yeah, I guess she was rooted. Uh-huh. That makes sense. My dog was so frightened that she just took off running, was holding on to the leash, and <laughs> couldn't, couldn't let go. So I sort of ran blindly after her to her house. I was an emotional blur uh, for a decent while afterwards. Uh, consequently, my dog's black fur is now very speckled with white hair. <laughs> And let me see. That actually uh, coincides with another of our podcasts. And, uh, oh, yeah. She had, being scared to death. And uh, she had singes across her fingers and toes, little burn blisters. And uh, as far as long-term damage, let me see. Uh, she has affected her balance some and messes with her inner ear, but her frontal lobe is fine, and she's taking neurological exams and psychological testing. She is fine and normal and considers herself very lucky. I consider her very lucky, too. So that is dog. That is Hannah of Tennessee, and we're very glad that you and your little girl, uh, Poochie, are all okay. Hannah, I would strongly recommend that you play the lotto as often as you can. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you want to tell us any amazing true stories about lightning, shark attacks, bar fights, whatever, you can send us a, an email. That's what they call them these days, right, Chuck? Electronic mail. You can send that to stuff. Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?